Today on this edition of the Heartland Community Church Podcast, lead pastor Eric Parks continues the series for anyone and everyone. So good to see you this morning. Um, we're in the middle of this series for anyone and everyone, and I want to remind you a little bit of what, la- what happened last week. Now, you heard Aria talk about 80 people gave their life to Jesus last week, week in this house. Big deal. Um, and last week, we, we, we began to lay out some of these phrases you've been hearing us say. You know, Josh came in and talked about anyone and everyone, and we, we, we sort of began to explore what that means for us as a church, right? That we wanna be a place where when prodigals come through our door, like we throw crazy parties for people who don't know him. We're, we want them to be here, be a part of our family. We throw parties. And then we're people who also go out of this house. And we find people, we tell people about Jesus. This is what that phrase means. This is what we're up to. Anyone. Everyone, that's the kind of place we're going to be. And so today, um, I'm gonna explore two more words. Words that you hear us say or you will hear us say on a regular basis. It is this idea that we wanna be a church for anyone and everyone, and we wanna be a church that empowers and releases. Now on the surface, you're like, okay, What exactly does that mean? And I was thinking, like, what's the best metaphor for us to understand this concept? And and the the phrase, the, 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 the term, the word that kept coming to mind was the word family. Like family. In fact, so often, if you've been around the church at all, that's what we call the church, right? We say we're a church family. Now, The thing with family is the moment that I say family, we all have a different picture of family, right? Because the truth is, like, family, it isn't all good. Now, come on, get real. It isn't all good, right? In fact, I was looking up some some funny little phrases, just, just like good descriptors of family. These are just little quotes. Gary Larson, he said it this way. He said, uh, or it was Len Dawson, he says, families are a lot like fudge, mostly sweet with a few nuts, (laughs) right? Here's another one. I thought this was great. The other, this this was uh, Jerry Seinfeld, actually. He said, the other night I was at a family restaurant and I looked around at all the tables and in that restaurant, there was an argument at every single table, right? Because this is what families do. See, family is a blessing. We just have to keep reminding ourselves of that when we're irritated by what's happening in our family. See, family, when we think about family, there's a lot that goes into a family. There's some downsides, and so often families have all kinds of drama and stuff that happens. But at the end of the day in a family, what we know is we are in it together. Right? That we are a place, like family is a place where we unconditionally love. And we get unconditional love back. Now that's a high standard. It's really, really tough. But the reality is like family isn't a one-way street. Like for real. Like for families to work, everybody has to play their part, right? It's not unconditionally love 
or get unconditionally loved, you have to unconditionally love back. There is a role for all of us to play. And I was reminded of this reality that all of us have a role in a family. All of us, every single one of us. A few years ago, my, my middle son, Graham. Graham's 18 now. And Graham's a, Graham's a really funny kid because um, he's got a real quick wit, but he doesn't say a whole lot, like, you know, until he does. And then when he does, he says a lot. Um, he was probably 11, I'm not quite sure, but we had this talk around family. We were like, hey, 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 l- listen, you're the firstborn son in the family. There's some stuff, some responsibilities you have to take on in the house. And so we had made this deal. I'm like, okay, so what I want you to do is start mowing the lawn. Like, you're gonna mow the lawn and you're gonna mow it every single week. And this is part of you being a part of the family. And it was so funny, this was Graham. He listened to me go on and on about mowing the lawn and how to use the lawnmower. And he said, hey, can I just ask you a question? He says, he's 11. I'm like, Sure, and I'm thinking this moment's gonna be one of these father-son moments where he, you know, he really embraces the reality of his role in the family. Like, you know, one of those, that he really heard everything that I had to say as his dad, preaching to him about the role of family and what we are as men. Here, here's what he said to me. He goes, hey, Dad, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He goes, the other day, you said that this was your house, and, and I did, I had made the comment that dad's off would do. It's like, don't you forget, this is my house. And he goes, so does that apply to the lawn? Because it seems to me that it's your lawn. <laughs> we won't talk about what I said next. See, here's the reality. For a family to work, all of us have to play our part. All of us. Like, all of us have to understand that we're not just consumers. To be a part of a family, we don't just show up and get. We have to step in and give. If you have your Bibles, I wanna wanna highlight this little story that I think helps us understand family as it relates to disciples of Jesus. Because look, all of us, this is what we're trying to do. The reason why we gather, the reason why we get together isn't for Heartland, isn't so that we can just see each other. The reality is we're all trying to understand who Jesus is, what he means in our life, and follow him. Like, we're just trying to do that. We're trying to follow him. We're all disciples of his. And so in Mark chapter 10, there's this interesting interaction that happens with his disciples, two disciples in particular. It's in verse 37, but let me give you a little backstory. You you hear Steve say this about the disciples. Most theologians sort of agree in this, that these disciples, when Jesus took them on, they were probably somewhere between the age of 16 and 21. Maybe Peter was the oldest at like in his 20s, but these were all like kids, okay? So these are young kids that are following Jesus, and they aren't the kids that were top of their class, because if they were top of their class, they would have already been on with a rabbi. These guys were ones that maybe weren't so book smart, C students, so they went off to do their own thing, to be fishermen or tax collectors. And this is where Jesus went to find his disciples. So these young kids who never probably saw themselves as disciples of a rabbi are following Jesus around, trying to learn his ways much like us. And in Mark chapter 10, James and John, they have this interesting, it's like a survivor moment, kind of like a Graham moment. 
They're on their way to Jerusalem. And Jesus is trying to help them understand, like, hey, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. My, my death is coming. They're trying to wrap their heads around it. And you can see these two, James and John, they have this moment where they're like, whoa, wait, 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 what? What? We might need to figure out something here because we've given up everything. And this Jesus guy is talking about dying or going away, and I'm not really sure. So here's what happens. In Mark chapter 10, verse 37, it says this. These two come up to Jesus, and they're like, you can see them kind of pulling them aside. They're like, hey, Jesus, Jesus, can you arrange it, they said, so that we will be awarded the highest places of honor in your glory? Right? Like one of us can be on your right side. The other can be on your left side. So you see what they're doing, right? They come to him and say, look, these other guys, I don't know anything about them. But us two, we got your back. Put us, like when you get up to heaven, put us in, in these, real, these spots of honor. This survivor serve me moment. Now listen what Jesus says. Because he's not just speaking to these two who had a selfish moment. He's speaking to all of us. When he says this in verse 42, you've observed how godless rulers, they throw their weight around. We've observed this in our culture, how godless rulers, people who have influence and money, throw their weight around, he said. And when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. It's not gonna be that way with you. See, he's saying, disciples, listen, it has to be different with us. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. This is what I'm doing, Jesus said. And so, it has to be with you. I came to serve, not to be served. See, Jesus wanted to be really clear with his disciples he wants to be, be very clear with us who consider ourselves his disciples. That if we want to be like him, we have to be servants. This is our call. He modeled it for us, and this is what we're to do. And this is what he's saying about his church. I mean, Jesus is beginning to set up the beginning of what the church would look like. He said, listen, it's not gonna be that way with us. It can't be that way with us. We can't look like everybody else. We can't look the way the world looks. We have to be marked by people who literally serve each other. Selflessly. We just lay down our rights and we serve each other. And this is what Jesus had in mind. But, but, but here's the great challenge. We, we lose our way in this because we are human. And sometimes in churches in particular, especially in this last season of church, I think we've misunderstood what church is supposed to be. The best way I can think about it is this, is that I think I grew up in this context, so I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but there is this idea that somehow there is professional Christians and then there's everyone else, right? That there are pros, oh, me, Steve, Carrington, right? We're the professionals, 
And our job to come up and say some interesting things, but that everybody else, what your job is, is to watch us. And then you go out and decide whether or not you liked what we said very much. And if you didn't like it, you send me a Facebook message. And you're like, I didn't like that, right? And this is how we see pastors, that there are a few that get in on it, like on what Jesus was talking about. But the rest of us, I don't know, we're like the B team. They're the A team. They have some special dispensation. They, they're really close with God. And we maybe can get around them. And, and the truth is, because we've done this, especially in our culture, you know what we've created? We've created a celebrity status for people who stand up here. That somehow I'm like some sort of celebrity. Right? You, you don't have to hang out with me for very long to know that I am not celebrity status, right? Now, I try really hard with my sneakers. Let's just be real. I, I try. I try. My kids, Graham, the same one that was throwing shade at me for the lawn, he tells me on a regular basis, he's like, Dad, seriously, man enough with the Jordans, enough. He's like, you try too hard, you're closer to 50 than you are to 40. But listen, listen, I'm gonna keep trying. We have this idea, and, and it's not just us in church. I, this happened, you know this, I told you this story some years ago. I was looking at my life and realized, man, everybody I know have come to Jesus, which is really cool. But then I started realizing, wow, I don't have any friends that sit outside faith. I don't know anyone. I got this phone call from a buddy who, um, he remembered me playing softball and remembered I played baseball growing up and played in college and he's like, hey, Parks, we have the softball league. I showed up. Now, what I realized, this was probably about five years ago, what I realized was this was not a softball league. It was a beer drinking league that happened to play softball. That's what they did. No, no, it's fine, but that's what it was. I was like, Alex, this is the worst version of softball that I've ever seen in my life. But it was interesting. We were standing around, and, and I showed up the first week, and um, none of these guys were involved in church. They, they weren't connected, and so I was really excited. Showed up the next week. By week three, you know, I'd stayed quiet, just kind of didn't say much. By week three, we were standing around before the game. We were getting ready had her back, bat bags open, and one of the fellas just, you know, because you make small talk, he was asking a little about me, and then he said, oh, what do you do? And I was like, oh, well, I'm a pastor. And he's like, like, a, a pastor, like, at a church? Like a priest? You know, he didn't know what it was, and he goes, oh, well, okay, so how many pastors do you have at your church? And you know, it made me think about it. My first reaction was, oh, we have, and I think about staff. But the truth is, the kind of place we wanna be is when I'm asked those, that question these days, I wanna say, I don't know, 2,000? We have 2,000 pastors at our church, you know? <laughs> this is what we're called to do. See, there is this pervasive idea, but it's not supposed to be that way. Because here's the truth for you. Let me tell you this truth. You, if you can hear me, this is you. Listen to me. You have a divine capability for the purpose of strengthening the church. 
You have one. You have a divine capability. It was given by God to strengthen this place. That is absolutely true. Listen what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, now, about the gifts of the Spirit, this is what he's talking about. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. So he's saying, hey, listen, I wanna tell you the truth. This is for you, that you have a divine capability, that you are a pastor. It's not just Eric and Steve who stand up and speak. It's not just Carrington and Lauren who lead worship. It's not just Charmaine who has the spiritual gift of making everybody happy and hyped, right? That's not just us, it's you. He goes on to say this, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes it. There's different kinds, we all have different kinds. There are different kinds of service, but it's the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all of them and in everyone, in everyone, in everyone, in everyone, It is the same God at work, all of us. All of us have a divine capability to strengthen the church. And if you're a follower of Jesus, let me say this, we're supposed to be pastors. We're supposed to go out. We're supposed to be the ones. Our job isn't just to show up and watch. You're not just here, this isn't about a theater. Now, this this matters. We believe that the gathering of the saints We can learn about Jesus and hear some teaching. It strengthens our faith, but we're supposed to go out. We're pastors. The Apostle Paul goes on to say, just as a body, though one has many parts, all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Look, Heartland, I have been given a task, no doubt, but so have you. You have. You have a divine capability for strengthening the church. And let me say, if all you do is show up and watch, you are going to miss out on the ride of a lifetime. You just are. Look, the thrill of ministry, it's not just reserved for me and for Steve and for the people I've mentioned. There there cannot in this place be an A team and a B team. It cannot happen. If we're gonna be family, remember that's where we started off. We have different roles. But in a family, we're all in it together. Highs and lows. We don't bail when it gets tough. We don't. We're here when things go well. We don't leave when it gets hard. We fight and we struggle but ultimately we're in it together. This is what family is. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 4.10. Each of us have been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts, that's you, to be used in the service of others. But if you sit it out, you never know, not only the fulfillment that can come to you, but the impact you might have on a waiting world. Now listen, anytime I say that, I know people go, yeah, but, but I'm just a fill in the blank. I don't have a divine capability to do anything, Eric. I cannot speak, you do not wanna hear me sing, right? 
And that's how we break down church, that if you don't have one of those two things, what else are you gonna do? I wanna tell you a story. 30 years ago, here in Rockford, Illinois, 30 years ago, 1991, young guy, uh, he was in his probably mid-30s. He ran a plumbing distribution company here in Rockford. It was a family business, took it from his dad, I believe. He sat in a service just like this one, and he heard a story just like this one. Someone said, you have a role. Now, Kevin will tell you, in that moment, he couldn't see how being a plumbing, a plumbing distribution, you know, running a plumbing distribution company could at all ever strengthen the kingdom. How is that ever gonna work? How will I ever get involved? But he heard a pastor say, will you step in? And there was one serving opportunity they needed help with. This brand new youth group that was starting up. Kevin thought to himself, I kind of like kids. I could open up my house. And so he talked to his wife, and in 1991, Kevin opened up his house. And he let a few people start gathering in his house. A few kids, a few, few high school kids. I wanna say, and this might not be completely accurate, so I believe it's close. There might have been on week one 12 kids that showed up, right? That sounds about right. High school kids show up in the house. Kevin and his wife put out some treats and he started talking with kids. Six months later, it was like 30 kids that were showing up. You know, because that's what kids do. They just like to hang out. But let's be honest, so do us adults, right? We do too, we like to hang out. Nobody asks us though. Kids, kids just started coming, there were 30. Pretty soon the 30 turned to 60. Pretty soon that group that started in 91 by mid-1992, it was his small group, and there were a couple of small groups, they were rumbling in this church right down the street. By 1993, that whole group that Kevin was key in leading had turned into hundreds of students that were gathering every single Wednesday coming to know Jesus, something started to happen right here in Rockford, Illinois. And by 1994, there were a thousand students that were gathering over at what used to be First Assembly. Now it's called City First. And in that group, in Kevin's small group, let me read some names of people that came to know Jesus and were a part of that. There was a kid named Sean Llewellyn Sean Llewellyn was on our staff for a long time. You may not know that. There's another kid named Matt Kitchen. Matt now works for Compassion International. Matt's a big part of my story. There's another kid. His name was Jeremy DeWert. Jeremy actually runs that church now. Another kid, Brian Dunn. He runs a church overseas in Sweden now, in Stockholm. And then there was a girl a lost kid who wandered into his small group. Her name was Shara Parks. When I came home in December of 1994, couldn't give a rip about God. My sister was, couldn't stop talking about what was happening in this group. He, she couldn't stop talking about it. And she goes, will you come with me? I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not coming with you to church. But I did. And here I am, like 30 years later. Now listen, listen, listen. 
I started calculating how this one simple plumbing supply vendor, what his one yes has equaled. And I'm telling you, that's just the tip of the iceberg. The amount of people that are now in ministry in Colorado, in Sweden, in Florida, in California, because one guy really believed that he had a divine gift for strengthening the church. He just said yes. His legacy, his legacy one day in heaven. I'm talking about tens if not hundreds of thousands of people. And you say, is that hyperbole? Are you making that up? I'm telling you right now, this is how it works. You have that capability. And I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it is specifically, but I do know this, that if you sit it out, if you sit it out and all you do is show up and watch me, one, bummer for you. Two, you'll never experience the thrill of ministry. You see, this is what it means to be a family. Where we believe like, I have a role to play in this family. And I'm gonna step in. And I'm gonna do that. Now listen, let me, let me speak to this. Depending on what your church background is, sometimes I think we go, oh, well, listen, this is just a plea by Eric to get me to do something that he just doesn't want to do. They just don't want, they just want to put me in a miserable chore. I'm going to be in a miserable chore. And then I'll end up on the parking team and then I'll probably get run over because I don't know what I'm doing, right? We come up with these scenarios like, that isn't what we want. Now, what do I dream? I do dream that like on our weekends, like when we do gather, it isn't about what happens up here. It's about what happens when we walk in the doors and this is a a party of we, where we're all just swirling around in our t-shirts and doing our things and greeting people and that the welcoming stuff that we're doing all over, all of us, we just are greeting each other because this is what families do, right? When you go to Thanksgiving, there is no greeting crew. Everybody greets each other, right? It'd be weird if you showed up at grandma's house and she had a crew of people that all they did was shake your hand and then leave. <laughs> like, it's just what we do. Like, it's a natural thing to like, we all get in on it. We're not trying to put you in a miserable job. What we are trying to do is unlock family. And it won't happen if we don't step in. I gave this same talk, a similar talk, some years ago, thinking, well, can lightning strike twice? You know, you talk about Kevin, and you're like, does that really still happen? I had a guy come up to me afterward. He goes, okay, I'm in. Where are you going to put me to work? And I said, okay, wh- well, I don't know. What do, you, what do you do? He goes, well, I sell hotel franchises. Oh, okay. What else do you do? <laughs> He's like, well, I used to own a restaurant. I go, okay. What you're going to do is you're going to be on hospitality team. He goes, what does that mean? I go, I, you know how to make people feel welcome. Like, we're going to gather a team, make coffee. He's like, I can do that. So Chris started showing up. This was probably seven years ago, actually. Started showing up, and he just started making coffee. Started making coffee. Chris just started making coffee. And I'm telling you, he, like, he just poured into everybody that was on his team. That team crushed coffee. They crushed it. 
They started coming up with ideas. In fact, it was really cool. He came up with the idea. He goes, hey, I found out there's a coffee roaster in town that um, half of their proceeds go to helping bring kids in our community off the streets. Should we do that? I'm like, yes, absolutely. And then, listen to this, two years in, he's make, they start cooking food. They start making food. They find a little commercial kitchen. They're making food for all, all the people that are coming in. And then he, he comes to me, he goes, okay, Eric, 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 Eric. So, Chris's life, his, his spirituality, it's, it's being set on fire, right? He's part of the family. He says, I got this idea. I think the church should start a food truck ministry. Listen, we all do this. We come up with an idea, and then you come to me, and we go, I think the church should start this. Well, last time I checked, you are the church. So I went, you start it. He's like, wait, what? I go, no, you, what are you thinking? He goes, well, I make these awesome tacos, and what if we had a food truck, and what if every taco that we sold, we gave a taco to homeless people in our community? I went, great, do it. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah. Chris started hustling, still ran all the food ministries, still did his day job. He started a company, a food truck company called Kitchen One for One with this dream of selling tacos to give out tacos. I don't know how many trucks Chris has now, but I can tell you this, he, he is strengthening the kingdom. He not only is seeing people and feeding the need, doing what Jesus asked us to do, he's watching people come to Christ. He called me after his second, like what they would do is go out and sell the food and then they would go to uh, the rescue mission and give out tacos. He goes, Eric, you're not gonna believe this. I started giving out tacos, we're giving out tacos. He goes, we gave out tacos, then we started praying with people. There was like 30 people who came to Jesus. I went, 30 people came to Jesus, said, Chris, see? You have a divine capability for the purpose of strengthening the church, don't you? He goes, I sure do. And it's all about taco trucks, right? Listen, all of us, all of us have this divine capability, but I know this, you gotta take a first step. You gotta put one foot out in front of the other. Where does it start? Wherever it starts. I don't know where, but somewhere here, like jump in on the weekend. Get on the traffic team. Like, follow Shimon around with his blowhorn and just say hi to people. Make them smile. Join us over in kids' ministry. Join our digital campus team. You know, most of our church still isn't in this space. So we're trying really hard to make them feel connected because they either aren't ready or not well or it's just not time. There's a million ways. But you got to step into it. And you never know what door God opens once we take a step, right? But I know this, if Chris sits that out, if Chris hears that message and goes, no, not for me. If he does that, you know what he's doing today? The same thing he was doing seven years ago. Only not the stuff that means the most to him now. If you sit it out, You may never know the impact. Look, this is about benefiting you, and it is about our family, about us being family, learning how to be family, to move from consumers to contributors. But just like Chris, it's also to make an impact in this world. He wants that for you. That's what he wants for you, disciple. And you gotta take a first step. It was interesting because I was filming this digital message. Now, you guys may not know this, but 
One of the reasons why we do digital the way we do is because we want anyone who's sitting on the other side of the screen to not feel like we just posted up a camera and that we don't care because we really feel like, hey, there's a bunch of people who are tuning in all over the place, even outside of Rockford, and we wanna speak to them. And so we, we filmed these messages on studio in advance. So a couple weeks ago, Steve and I were on set and we were filming this message. And there was a girl, and I've been seeing this girl at all the shoots. Like, she's just wandering around the shoots. You need to go watch this message. Go watch it later today because we, we couldn't capture her film for here. But I asked Corbin, I go, who is that? He goes, oh, that's Cami. I go, who's Cami? Cami's just someone who started coming around here a few months ago. I go, really? During the pandemic? He goes, oh, yeah. And, and she's a really great photographer. And she just said she could never imagine herself being in a church our size, but she just took a a flyer and started coming around. And then she said, I just decided I was gonna serve. And um, we've been, you'll see her. She's been floating around taking pictures on the weekend, but she's been on about every digital shoot that we've had. So anything you see online, Cammie's put her hand to. You know, there are people that are coming to Jesus online that we don't even know about. There are lives being transformed in all parts of the world. And Cammie, Cammie's part of that. So I like called Cammie over. I go, she was like behind the set. I go, come here, come here, come here. What would you say to these people? What would you say to everybody who's a little bit not sure if they have a gift or they should step in? Her whole message was just try it. Just taste and see. Step in and see what God does with your gift when you just bring it. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Will you taste and see? And I know how intimidating it can be. But man, sometimes something happens when we taste and see. You know, Harry, Harry's our littlest one. And every room he walks into, he lights up, right? Always a smile on his face. Doesn't matter what his older brother says to him, he thinks it's funny, even if his older brother's making fun of him. You can't make him mad, right? He's just like, life is just, he's just happy. And when he was about four years old, we went to Disneyland for the very first time. Maybe he was five. And there's this roller coaster there, massive roller coaster. That little bitty guy was looking up at the roller coaster. I remember walking up to him, I said, what do you think? You think we should go ride that thing? And he goes, Dad, man, that, that, that looks scary, Dad. And I said, well, let's go see if you're tall enough. We walk up, and the top of his hair just hits that dark line, right? I'm like, I think we can get you in. So me and Harry, we, he grabs my hand. We walk. I said, are you sure you're ready for this? This is kind of scary. It's a really big deal. He said, yeah, Dad, I'm ready. So we get in the roller coaster, and the thing goes... You can tell, like, he's got a little bit of nerves. But I'm like, okay, let's taste and see. So that roller coaster, it backs into its spot. And it's one of those that shoots out like a million miles an hour and then goes into a double loop. So as soon as that thing takes off, little Harry goes limp. <laughs> he does this. He's just flopping around. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I convinced him to taste and see, and I'm gonna break him. 
So the whole time I'm going, hold on, little man, hold on. And he has his hand over his mouth. We're going in the loop to loop. He is just like a ragdoll, flopper, eyes closed. He's just like miserable. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I convinced him to taste and see this scary thing. It's going to break him. We're going through the whole thing. I'm going, hold on, hold on. And then I'm thinking, don't throw up because we don't want to be those people that throw up on the people behind us. He's just limp as a ragdoll. We get to the He's sitting there like this, and I'm thinking, oh, no. The thing cranks up. He stumbles out like he'd been drinking vodka. And I get down on my knee. I go, buddy, 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 are you okay? Was that all right? Did I break you? Was was this ride too much for you? He looks up at me, and he goes, let's do it again. (laughs) See, listen, listen. Sometimes we look at stepping in and like our heart races and we're like, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know it's gonna be scary. And even sometimes when we get inside like this whole family of serving and having a conversation with someone about Jesus and leading them into our family, it's nerve wracking, but I'm telling you, no matter how scary it looks, when you taste and see you'll know that you were made for this. You were made for it. You were made for it. Listen, I'm asking you, will you lean in? Will you be part of this family? Will you step out? Will you step in? Will you taste and see? Will you help link arms with us to build a place. When people walk in this door that have never been to church before, they're like, oh man, I don't know what I believe about Jesus, but you people are awfully great. Will you help me as we follow Jesus, build a place that teaches and trains people about the goodness of Jesus and what he is? Will you help me do this? And will you pick up a serving towel and put it on your arm? Will you join us on the weekend? Will you figure it out with us? And it may not be organized all that well. I'm not even sure being organized is all that great because sometimes it's just really fun when everybody's just wandering around. Now, don't tell me I told you so when that falls apart. But what I'm saying is, will you join us? And it's really simple. Okay, all you have to do is take a picture of the screen. Like, this is it. Now, you don't have to do it now. We're gonna leave this up the whole way. I don't want to call anybody out, but I'm asking you, if you just take a picture of that, and there's a million different ways that you could get involved. There's a card, which I don't have, but on the way out, if you're like, well, I don't know about taking that, but there's a card, and it shows all the different places that you can connect, and you can be a part of our family, and be a part of this family. Listen, I'm, I'm inviting, but I'm also telling you, and now I'm going to take my role as your pastor and say, we cannot be a place of consumers. Doesn't work. Just doesn't work. We all got to link arms. We all have to contribute. That's the only way this thing works. And make no mistake, there's a world that needs us to link arms. Needs it all over this city and beyond. So I'm asking you, will you join us? Will you take your seat at the table with us? Let's pray. God, give us the courage to taste and see no matter how scary it may feel. Help us step toward what you've asked us to do. 
As disciples, you've said, my kingdom, my kingdom, it will be about serving and servants. Give all my friends the courage to not sit this out, to make a move and to step out and see what you do when we do. Pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You've been listening to part two of For Anyone and Everyone with Eric Parks. You can watch the online version of the message by going to heartland.cc and clicking on the watch page or go to our YouTube channel at Heartland CC Rockford. You can also watch it on the Heartland CC app. Thanks for listening.